P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning and welcome to P.I.'s Declassified. I've been watching the news across the country and uh, I know many people are suffering from Oh, my goodness, fires, floods in North Carolina, fires in California, the uh, removal of uh, Americans and sympathizer from Afghanistan, and just on and on and on. So I hope this show will provide a little respite and distract you from all the things that are going on around the country, including, of course, COVID. So today, I'm really pleased to uh, introduce you to Talia Cohen. Talia is going to be talking to us about privacy online and who's looking over your shoulder. So, welcome, Talia. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thanks for having me. Nice to have you on the show. We were just saying the last time I talked to you, which I don't even know how many years ago that was. Um, yeah, you were in New like York. a few years ago. Yeah. I was, yeah. And then and just before COVID, I uh, actually made the move to Miami. Sounds like that was a good idea. It was perfect timing, but also kind of uh, intentional because we saw everything happening in Europe, and I was, you know, figured what's better, stay in my small studio in Manhattan or go to Miami with nature and the ocean. So that was an <laughs> easy choice go. to make. Well, there you go. You didn't consider coming to California. No, that's on the other side of the country. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Miami, Miami's New York's backyard. I see. I see how that works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Talia, real quickly, what what is your background? So, um, I actually studied uh, counterterrorism and conflict resolution at one of Israel's leading universities. Um, and I originally wanted to go into law, but and we actually discussed this a few years ago. I don't know if you want to go into it again, um, but it was a pretty unusual story. I wound up becoming a PI instead. So, uh, yeah, tell, about us, tell us about five. that again. Tell us quickly about that again. Sure. So um, I wanted to become a lawyer and kind of combine uh, counterterrorism with law. So I was looking for lawyers who practiced counterterrorism law. Uh, and I found uh, one one lawyer in Maryland who was working on a case from regarding the 1972 Lodge Airport attack, where many uh, Puerto Ricans actually died. And um, one family was waiting to collect their judgment, but you can't collect a judgment unless everyone in the family is present. And they had a long lost relative. And we were talking on the phone, and he said, why don't you just give it a shot? He wasn't hiring it for any paralegals or anything, but he said, why don't you just give it a shot, try and find this long-lost relative. I hired a PI firm to locate him for two years and no luck. So I was like, okay, why not? I gave it a shot. And I found him under a different name in two weeks. In mm-hmm. he had joined the military in uh, Afghanistan, actually. So at the time I called his uh, base in Afghanistan, I had no idea about the regular like MO on how to proceed and everything like that. So I just gave him a call at his base. Um, and I sounded like a complete Nigerian prince who did not believe me for one second. Uh, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and uh, so I told the lawyer, I gave the lawyer all the contact information, and then, you know, they went on from there, and it all worked out. Um, so after that, I just figured I'm not going to go into law school. I might as well just do this, and I became very passionate about this whole private investigation world. Interesting. So, uh, and... You're not from Israel, though. No, I'm not from Israel. Um, I lived there for a few years um, for college, and then uh-huh. that was it. And what university did you go to there? Uh, I went to the Interdisciplinary Center in Israel, IDC for short, but now they just changed the name to the Reichman University. Is that in Tel Aviv? No one really knows about it here. It's in Herzliya. 
Okay. I, I went over uh, with a group called Security Solutions International in 2018, and uh, the whole purpose was to visit all the bombing sites there. It was wow. a different different tour than most people take when they go to Israel. Yes. But yeah, very it was, unique. Yeah. You and I should talk about it offline sometime because it was a really interesting trip. Yeah, I would love to hear more about it. Yeah. So... So today, though, you're, you're, are you kind of a specialist in privacy and privacy online issues? Um, you know, not exactly. What I, what I do is, you know, for my own business, which I, I'm shocked to say I started about five years ago, um, I started blogging. And I'll blog about things that come up, particular things that come up in cases that interest me, or I'll talk about just things that happen in my day-to-day life that, um, inspire me. So I had a case that involved um, online privacy and phishing um, and all of this stuff regarding online, you know, privacy and cybersecurity. So I decided to do some research and and write kind of six simple tips about you know protecting your your own data. Um, regarding this case, you know, I gave a short, small, you know, protocol to begin with for their, uh, for their own security. And then I passed it along to a cybersecurity specialist. Mm-hmm. So what do you think is the biggest mistake most people make about their privacy? You know, nowadays, I would say it's social media. Um, that's almost to our benefit. Usually people, they post stuff on social media thinking it's just, you know, for themselves, for their friends, family, their frenemies, um, to show off a little bit about their lives. And they don't realize that a lot of other people that they don't even think of, like people like us, have access to everything mm-hmm. that they're posting unless unless they have privacy settings. But a lot of people don't use the privacy settings. Um, I would say especially on, which is kind of my favorite thing to use as a PI for our investigations, even unrelated to anything social media, to locate connections and things like that is Venmo, mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure we all use and I use, um, but I have the privacy settings on, so no one sees, you know, who I send money to or who I send money from. But a lot of people, you know, allow others to see who they're sending money to and you have to kind of write a description for what it's for. So it's a great way to see if somebody's paying, like, somebody's internet bills, so you can kind of assume they're either close or, or roommates or something, um, stuff like that. It's, very, it's a good way to identify and pinpoint connections. So when you set the privacy, so you're going to have to educate me on this. When you set the privacy settings, can you still see everybody else? You, yeah, so you can see everyone else who, does, who leaves it public, but people cannot see yours. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, uh, of course, uh, applies to hackers as well, and uh, <laughs> and I've been hacked, exactly. uh, and it's it's ongoing because what ha- hackers do is they pass the information around to their buddies on the dark web, and so the hacker information keeps coming up, which is what ha- has happened with me. They still have my email that I can't get rid of because oh, it's a awful. Gmail. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and that so tell you when you log you, on. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, so you may be getting a text from somebody that sounds like me asking you for money. Just just be aware. <laughs> it's not me. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. Sure. No, That, but usually a lot of people, actually my cousin, several times she got hacked whenever she logged on to the airport Wi-Fi. Mm. Wow. Okay. So, it's kind of just leaving an open door for other people to access your computer. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we get so, um, become so unaware, I think, when we're in an airport, wait, just waiting, sitting there waiting, uh, and we're on our laptops or our, iPhone, our iPhones or Androids and, and using the Internet and contacting our friends. We just become completely oblivious to the risk, I yeah. think. Yeah, because yeah. um, we, I think, prioritize convenience and immediate gratification or instant gratification. So anything that 
can stop me from being bored right now waiting for my plane to board. Like, I'll just, you know, do whatever it takes. Social media, even online banking people I see do at the airport, which is crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, any of those things, actually, once they get into um, into your, your system. Mine happened to be, interesting enough, through my Find My Phone app. Wow. So That's And I have an iPhone, which is scary. But at the yeah. time, everybody thought uh, iPhones were so secure, but there, there was that loophole. And when, I, yeah. when it happened to me, then I started researching it happened to others. So, yeah, I, watched, I actually watched it happen. <laughs> so it was, wow. it was pretty weird. That's really pretty good weird. to know. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so let's go through some of the things that you think are important, Talia. Yeah, sure. Um, so one thing, I mean, it's like I was saying, instant gratification or just convenience, um, file sharing services, everyone has a drop off, um, and they've been hacked. Um, anything, anything that you put online in a cloud, you just, you lose control of it. Um, and that's what makes me nervous, um, with regard to any sort of file sharing service. But I know that a lot of, you know, larger companies still use them anyway, just because it's convenient and easy. So is there any way to make Dropbox secure? I, I think it's, it's always going to be prone to hacking. And then the other problem that bigger companies have is if maybe a disgruntled employee can get access to it or um, you don't know if maybe a current employee can hack into it before they leave a company. There's no way to figure out, like, who accessed what information, which is kind of um, a, a gap in, in knowledge and so, in my opinion, in security. So that so this is interesting to me because we use Dropbox a lot. So uh, what do you mean that no one can know? Because don't you have to give somebody a, a specific link or give them a, authority sure. to access it? Yeah, so what I'm talking about is um, a company's employees, if they use Dropbox for, for their whole company and everyone has access to that, to all of those files, there's no log that says, um, you know, Joe Smith accessed this file oh, at this time and it just so happens that that file leaked. So there's no way to know, you know, who may have caused the leak or who accessed any sort of file, things like that. Hmm. And there's no way, like, to give everybody their own passcode or, or have it controlled that way? Um, to my knowledge, no. There's no, there's no, they don't have, they don't keep a log of people who have accessed the files. I think that's the issue. Okay. And what about uh, other formats like Hightail? You know, I haven't looked into them, but um, I think, you know, a lot of companies are using... Uh, private file uh, transfer companies or services. Mm-hmm. So I think those are the most secure because it's your own company that, that owns, that has ownership over this, you know, information that's being transferred back and forth. But what you pointed out is that you still need to have a log of who yeah. can access the files. Yeah, that's a, that's a yeah. big loophole yeah. right there. Yeah. Yeah, that'll always be a problem unless unless there's a way to track it with different passwords, perhaps. And and what do you think, Talia, about remote access? You know, like Team Viewer and um, Find My. Uh, let's see, what is it? The um, your PC, something like that, where you can remotely access your computer files. Team, so Team any- Viewer is funny because I actually was using it with family to help with uh, organizing files and photos and things like that. Um, and one of my cousins actually very computer savvy. Uh, and then when I realized that you don't even need any, or on the version that I was using for TeamViewer, you didn't need any authorization for the person who was participating um, to access your computer and where they go. And once they have access, they have access. They could really do whatever they want with that access. So... I would do Team Viewer with people that you trust, um, mm-hmm. or at the very least, maybe establish an NDA um, in case you kind of lose control. Wait a minute, what is an NDA? Uh, oh, like a non-disclosure agreement. So even oh, okay. if they do access, 
you know, information that at least there's some sort of recourse, but it's, it's not ideal. Yeah. Yeah, actually, we've set it up so um, we've set up the team viewer so people have their own um, login uh, access and passcode so they can Mm -hmm. log into our main computer remotely. But at the same time, we would never know. Yeah, working from because everybody's working from home. Everybody's working remotely, so you you have to come up with some processes that allow you to continue to work together. And that's Absolutely, one of the things yeah. that we did. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's security settings on uh, TeamViewer where you could limit access also. Yeah. I think most of the remote accesses do have those situations, but uh, still, uh, they're probably hackable. Sure. I would think, yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. um you did a lot of research, uh, Talia, particularly on the file sharing. Uh, I noticed that you quoted uh, Steve Wozniak from the Apple co-founder about having less control over the cloud the more we have, the more we use it. And I thought that was a really interesting yeah. comment. Yeah, and it's interesting coming from Steve Wozniak, who kind of, I think, helped pioneer, you know, furthering technology and, and Apple is kind of a huge pioneer in all things technology. Um, but he makes a good point that, you know, I think he said something like the more we transfer everything online or onto the cloud, the less we have control over it, which makes absolute sense. I think even, um, I went to a symposium pre COVID about concerns of, um, even hospitals and medical professionals storing Mm -hmm. everything online. Um, and if that's hacked, and it can be, um, that would violate, you know, HIPAA laws and all of that. So that's kind of a problem, too. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it's easy to think about our own stuff, but, you know, even hospital records and p- people's personal records like that, that could be hacked, uh, which is kind of a bigger, big deal. Well, you know, it hasn't been that, I mean using the cloud isn't that old. So it hasn't been that long ago, I can remember, that people are saying, are you kidding me? It's out of my control. It's in the cloud. It could go anywhere. And and people were just outraged that that could happen. And they were concerned. And now, literally, everybody has their information in the cloud. I mean, it's, right, it's, yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and around the world. I mean, it's it's accessible anywhere. And when you think of that, uh, it's it's pretty astonishing how far we've come just in accepting that that platform. Yeah, I think as time goes on, we just, um, I think convenience trumps security more and more is, is what it comes down to, in my opinion. Yeah, you, yeah, you have to trade off. You do have to trade off for yeah. the convenience. Yeah, it's yeah. a it's interesting. And it's easier. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, okay, what's the next point? Okay, so um, one thing that I thought was very interesting was our browser history. Um, So Google and Yahoo, they kind of, so I know for sure Google, they personalize their search system. So they use your past searches to yield the most relevant results to you. So that might not be a problem, you know, for someone who's just using the Internet, I guess, as a regular individual, but... For private investigators, I would say if you're starting to look things up, you don't you don't want your results to be tailored to maybe like a previous case that you were working on, um, and have kind of those results taint the the new searches for your case. Or or for that matter, if you're planning a crime, you should eliminate your browsing history. <laughs> Most um. definitely, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, so tell people how to do that. Okay, so if you so you can delete your browser history first of all. You could also um, delete your cookies. Those are text files memorized by browsers that contain details on your particular website visits. Um, and you can also turn off personalized search by clicking um, search tools, all results, and verbatim. But if you want, you know a a browser that definite or a search engine that definitely will not track you. Um, I use DuckDuckGo, 
um, and that doesn't track any of your history. So you're, every time you do a search, it's kind of a blank slate result. Um, there's another one called Start Tanya, before Search you, Engine, before you, which I really like. Before you go forward with that, uh, so if you use DuckDuckGo, are you putting that in your your URL? Are you how how are you accessing it? So yeah, DuckDuckGo is similar. It's the same idea as like a Google or a Yahoo or a Bing. Um, you just you just type in DuckDuckGo.com, and okay. and it'll be the same sort of uh, search engine as um, as the others. But it doesn't track. It doesn't give you personalized search results because it doesn't collect any information about the user or your IP address or your cookies. Who is? Do you know who is behind DuckDuckGo? Um, I can look that up if I remember correctly. I don't want to give any false information. Um, I believe, yeah, so it was launched in 2008 um, in Pennsylvania, it looks like, by Gabrielle Weinberg. Okay, I don't know. I This is the first I've heard about it, so I don't know anything about it. Um, but you're comfortable with that? Um, that particular browser? Search I engine? am. I kind of use a combination for investigations because they all give different results. Um, there was another one I really liked. It's called the Start Page Search Engine, and that's startpage.com. Are you saying dark, D-A-R-K? Start, like S-T-A-R-T oh, page. Okay, S-T-A-R-T. Okay, I wasn't sure. Okay. Uh, interesting. I don't. I hadn't heard about that. That's a good tip. Um, yeah. And it's also a good tip about um, you know pe- letting people know how they can eliminate your, their cookies and their browsing history. Definitely. Anything? I think also. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I think also what's interesting is um, our our VPN. So. Apparently, our internet service providers can also track us uh, online, and they see where we go online, uh, when, how, uh, everything that we do online you can see, and they can collect it and sell it to advertisers. So, to avoid that and to maximize, you know, your own privacy, a lot of people use VPNs to protect themselves. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah, well, we're all we've all been subject to you know having ads that have to do with something we ordered <laughs> recently, or you know, it, yeah. it's pretty amazing when you see it. I find it creepy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Facebook does the same thing. You, you go on Facebook yeah. and you see <laughs> see tailor made ads, um, and kind of it kind of takes you makes you sit up straight and say, well, wait a minute. <laughs> How, how did yeah, they do that? you know, if you if you access your settings on your Facebook, there's so much information that they collect about us that we kind of just give for free, um, and they are able to sell. You know, they have access um, to they kind of create profiles on us. I, I saw, and they could figure out, okay, this person's an adult age. They visit these websites. They could even track your purchases. So that the next time, let's say you bought shoes from, I don't know, some shoe store, you're going to find an ad possibly like the week or the following day or something, 10% off at that particular store. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a nice feature when you look at it on from one side of it. And people take advantage of that, of course. And on the other side yeah. of it, it's, uh, it's unsettling. Yeah, especially since... Um, to me, it's private information that you're giving for free, pretty much, and and they can sell. So we were just talking about social media. That's a primary fodder for hackers. Let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I find it fascinating um, just to see the sheer amount of information people put out there and keep public. Um, so I think there's kind of two aspects to it. The whole image that we tailor and that we put online and we think, you know, it's only out there for our friends and family and ourselves, um, and all of that information that we can collect as private investigators. The 
flip side is what we were just discussing is um, all of the information that we put on there that the Facebook company is collecting on us and um, things that, you know, we don't even think of, things that we might think are minor, but I don't know. I'm kind of a huge privacy hound, so I, I'm looking at, you know, if you download your own privacy um, history from Facebook, you could, they'll, they'll show you all of your messages that you've sent to people, conversations, photos. It's, it's a lot of information, I think, that they track and that they keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you mentioned uh, a, a hacker that you ca- goes by the name of Peace, P-E-A-C-E? Yeah. yeah. How, how uh-huh. did you find out about him? Or her, I guess it could be either. Yeah, uh, I was just doing research about all of the. Uh, it's fascinating to me, just things that are hacked and how how it's sold and where it's sold and everything like that. So when I found um, just different different people who deal with, I guess, the information we put out there in different ways. Um, so I think the person you're talking about was. I think his name, were you talking about Kevin Matthew? I don't he know. Basically, he basically, um, he, he kind of completely poisons all of his, or anyone who wants to, their Facebook data so that it becomes, so it kind of messes with their the information that Facebook collects, um, and it becomes kind of just a random, random set or data of, um, likes, comments, and things like that. So it completely anonymizes your data. This is the guy that was selling um, selling information for five bitcoins. He was selling data on real on the real deal. Place called the real deal. Oh right, right, right. Yeah. So and this was. Um, this was information that was hacked by, it was LinkedIn that was hacked. And okay. um, the, information, the information wound up on the dark web. And um, the information that was hacked, this was in, um, it was 2012 that it was stolen. Um, it, the information hacked or stolen included emails and passwords for over 100 million users. Um, and then he this guy Pete was selling a data on the real deal for five bitcoins, which is at the time that was around fifty six thousand dollars. It's amazing. It's very amazing. Um, so, uh, so what, how did you? Well, how did you find out about him? Also, or just her, a I lot guess. of research. But but what's interesting is if you go to um, there's a website where you can find out if if your email was hacked, which is interesting. I guess. I, I personally track my own email addresses to see, you know, what's been leaked or not. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also interesting for cases, for example, for, for private investigators to see um, what, what services or what websites somebody was subscribed to that might have been hacked. So it kind of gives you a little bit more of an insight on um, one of your subjects that you're investigating. And what is that? Um, what was that website? Um, oh, I think it's haveibeenpwned.com. I think that's how you say it. I'm not a super techie, but it's haveibeenpwned.com. Okay. I'm going to check that out. <laughs> okay. It's, yeah, it's really, it's really interesting for ourselves and for our subjects. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, everybody should check that one for sure. Definitely. Yeah, so, I would also suggest downloading a copy of your own Facebook data just to see. It's it's crazy to see all of the information that was stored about you by by the company. And how do you download your Facebook data? I would go to uh, just facebook.com slash forward slash settings, and there's a treasure trove of information to go through. You can they you can see. Now they can track all Facebook activity, which is super invasive. And I think mm-hmm. that's how they get a lot of the ads 
that are probably geared towards you and specific purchases that you have made or things that you have researched to purchase. Um, going, yeah, going through all of your sort of privacy settings on, on facebook.com slash settings. Okay. Okay. That's a, that's a very good tip. So, uh, and from there you can actually download all your data. Yeah, I think there's something that calls, um, I can look now, it said, it's called something like um, download download your Facebook information. Mm-hmm, okay. That's a great, that's a great tip as well. So, yeah. Talia, what made you get so interested in the privacy issues? Was there, was there an incident or was it just because of the cases you were doing? So actually, um, just before last Thanksgiving, I got a call from someone. It was a small business that was um, that's trying to grow online on their social media account. And uh, all of a sudden, they no longer had access to their account. Mm-hmm. Um, so I spoke with I spoke with one of the uh, owners of the business, and basically, someone had used a phishing scam to mm-hmm. get access to their password, so phishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, right. um, which is basically they, someone can create an account that looks really close to a real account of a company and um, is actually a fake account, and they do that to steal whatever information they're looking for. Um, so it can be like PayPal, customer service at gmail.com, mm-hmm. but you don't, sometimes the emails are so alarming that we don't even look at after the at part because they'll say your account's been compromised and they'll freak you out so that you are just, you need to take action right away instead of paying close attention to the detail. Right. So this company was hacked um, and it turns out that it was from a former employee who they gave access and who had set up basically everything in their system from their social media to uh, their email addresses to the point where they really didn't know their whole the whole universe of any sort of email addresses that they had, um, different accounts that they had, Wi-Fi passwords. So that's when I came in and I did a lot of uh, research and I created kind of a easy but important tip list or protocol to start just to save them all. Um, just to say, you know, change your modem password so this person doesn't have access to changing your Wi-Fi password. Um, establish your whole online universe just to figure out what's out there and what needs to be protected. Um, and once that was all done, I got them in touch with a, a cybersecurity professional who could kind of really help secure their system and help them grow as a business but securely. Mm, that's that's a really good idea. So you, um, uh, let me first of all give a shout out to Pursuit Magazine and Hal Humphreys because this, because I'm working with you from an article that you wrote on this very issue. Um, Pursuit Mag- Magazine does a great job, what? and I just want to uh, be sure and mention uh, that that's where this article came from. Um, so. This, this is so fascinating. You talk about a guy named Kevin Matthew. Yeah. He said he, he owns a small web developing company. Talk about what he did. So he took everything a step further, um, but it's, it's not advertised as um, like a real service. It's advertised as a proof of concept because it violates Facebook's terms of service. But uh, what he does is that he he created a script that deletes your Facebook profile but to the next level. So instead of yourself going into Facebook and saying, okay, I, just, I don't want to go on Facebook anymore, I'm going to delete my profile, um, he takes it to the next level by poisoning all of the data that you've posted, that you've liked, anything you've clicked on involving Facebook, he'll kind of um, put through like a laundry machine, I would say, five times over so that it anonymizes all of your posts and your data. Um, and so they basically, so you become nobody to that, to Facebook, and they can't use your data. Hmm. Interesting. And 
You also say that it violates Facebook's terms of service. Yes, it does. So he doesn't advertise it as a service, but a proof of concept. A proof of concept. <laughs> That's funny. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's all about vernacular. <laughs> <All right. Yeah. laughs> we need to take a break, Talia. Uh, we need to let our advertisers a little time. So we'll be right back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. PI Magazine is the most respected magazine of the professional investigator. We feature stories and articles on current trends and issues, equipment reviews, tips, and practical advice. Don't miss the new and exciting year in PI Magazine. Subscribe today at PIMagazine.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. We're back with Talia Cohen, and we're talking about wonderful topics like hacking and how to protect yourself and privacy and all those kind of things. So you talked a little bit earlier about Venmo. Let's talk about the mobile payment apps um, that we, you know, everybody's using now. So let's talk about those. Yeah. So I've had a couple of cases where it wasn't just Venmo, um, but it was also Zelle that people... Um, blackmail other people and suggest that to pay them, they send them money through Zelle, um, which is funny to me because you need an actual legitimate phone number or email address associated with your Zelle account to receive the money. So as a PI, that's really easy to track to the actual person who's blackmailing. Um, that's kind of the most Zelle gives us. Um, Venmo gives us a lot more, and people even use it as a social media app. Really? Yeah, so a lot of people kind of uh, go on Venmo just to check what their friends are doing, where they're going, who they're paying, who they're spending time with, um, and, and, that's kind of, and so that kind of creates more users, you know, using the app and telling them what they're buying or who they're buying something for. Um, which is kind of a treasure trove for us as PIs. You know, yeah, it's also a treasure trove for people that are stalking their significant others. (laughs) I can imagine that that creates problems. Yeah. There have been cases where um, regular users have caught cheating spouses uh, (laughs) using Venmo. Yeah, wow. That's... um, You know, there's so many things you have to think about. So what about the others? What about, I mean, we talked a little bit about LinkedIn and Facebook. What about Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and, I don't know, PayPal? Uh, uh, 
What are some of the others? There's so many. Are, do they all work the same? Yeah. Way? There's so many. Um, I mean, Instagram. Instagram is another social media app that everyone posts to, where you can see what they're doing, and it's all it's all images and and a profile that someone wants to exude of themselves, like someone's best life. Um, so you're never going to see photos of people like stepping in gum or any of their bad moments in life on Instagram. Um, now I think people, especially younger people, are more keen on privacy. So you see a lot more private uh, accounts for mm-hmm. Instagram, for example, um, which is good because I guess the public is becoming more aware of privacy and it's important, but not great for us. Um, right. If, if a profile is public, it's great to see who the profile follows and who, um, who your fault, who that person is following and who's following that person. Um, which kind of gives you a, a good idea of the person's universe. I had a case where they weren't sure they had a feeling that someone was, blackmailing um, basically her ex-husband's wife at the time and they weren't sure how to prove that that account was the one that was blackmailing and posting you know negative content about Mm -hmm. the new wife so interestingly I think people they they become lazy and so this account who that used to or could have remained anonymous started following her friends and herself because everyone likes having high numbers of followers. So she got like a free follower through that fake account. And now all of a sudden you can say, okay, well, it's both, you know, the private person's account and this stalking account is following the same person and all of her friends. So you can make an easy, not conclusion, but it gives you a direction to take when if you want to have a conversation with this person to see their true feelings about, you know, the accounts. And it, it gives, it's a good starting point for a conversation. For sure. If, so is there a way around the privacy settings? Um, not really. You can try through, it's difficult, but you can try through different popular hashtags. You can try by looking up that person's friends to see if their friends maybe um, have public profiles, and then you can see photos that they were tagged in and go around it that way. Um, there's always there's always a weak link. Um, usually, if you look at, like, when I do asset searches, I'll go straight to the wives because they love posting online, and it's usually <laughs> public. Um, so that's usually the weak link. Um there's always a friend out there that has something public where you're able to have access to your subject that way if they're very private. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, you, there's no way to control everybody. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. And there are some uh, companies even where you say, where they'll say, okay, well, give us your access to your Facebook account. Um, and we can give you access to the to the website instead of giving your email address or something like that. Um, and a lot of people give their give access to their Facebook, and they don't realize that they're also giving access to their friends' Facebook by giving access to their own Facebook. They give access to their friends list. You know, it's, it's amazing to me, Talia. Sometimes I get I actually get cases from attorneys who send them on Instagram or send them through Facebook, and I'm thinking. This is crazy, you know? Yeah. I can't even imagine doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And and I don't look at at that stuff every day, so I could miss it, easily miss it, if I didn't go and look at my account for, you know, a couple, three weeks. Yeah, yeah. Especially with Facebook tracking and keeping um, a record of all of these messages sent, it's surprising to me that they do that. Mm -hmm. Surprising to me, too. And it continues. <laughs> That's so, wild. Uh, does um, does the privacy settings on St- Snapchat and Twitter work the same as Instagram and Facebook? Yeah, I, I believe so. There's always a setting to make things private, um, but the default is always public. So it's right. It's the onus or the effort is on the user to make sure that everything they do post 
um, is private. And there's even on Facebook different levels. Um, you could even make a different list of people on Facebook who have access to certain posts but not others. Um, some people could have access to your friends list but some people can't or it could be private to everyone. Um, on Facebook, they create kind of levels for people if you want to. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just looking at uh, the part where you were talking about specifically social media. You said to choose settings, then privacy, and then change your settings, and then go to, um, it says, you'll be prompted whether you are sure you want to do this to, or to make each individual transaction private. So you say hit change anyway under past transactions and change your past transactions to private as well. Yeah, so sometimes if you'll notice, you'll go on somebody's Facebook profile and you'll see that they never posted since February 2019. Um, So either their profile remained public and they just stopped using their profile, or what they did was they made their profile private on that day or certain things are no longer uh, public that they post on that day. So... That's where the story ends for us, to looking into that person. But they actually are still using Facebook, but it's just on a private level. And if you do that, does it tell you that those past transactions are pri- now private? Or do, do they just not exist? If you do for yourself, you, you'll be able to tell. Um, you can choose all past actions are private. Um, but as a viewer of someone else's profile that you might not know or be friends with, you won't know if the person doesn't use their account or if it's now private. But you wouldn't t- know that they'd change their settings. It would just not exist. Right. To us, it wouldn't exist. Yeah, to us, it wouldn't exist. Another, yeah. Another fun thing on Facebook that could help in that scenario is that sometimes on certain people's profiles, you'll have a little um, one of those um, loops that you look through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you click on that on their profile, and you can do a keyword search of their profile. I usually do like very generic terms like family, vacation, love, things like that. And you'll be able to see posts that they, that they wrote or even names I'll put in. So you'll see posts, and, and if a post comes up after the date that looks like the profile died or is no longer active, then it looks uh-huh. like, yeah, they just changed their privacy settings and we don't see any okay. posts on their wall anymore okay but you're still active. Right. so um we, we just have a few minutes left um talia why don't you go through the tips for browsing safely i i think these are really important for anybody to hear even if they know them and even if they've heard them before so yeah sure why don't you go um, us through so those? So the first one is super inconvenient and annoying, but it's useful is to keep different passwords for every account so that if, you know, Facebook is hacked or like LinkedIn was hacked and their passwords were um, disclosed, that it's not the same password as your online banking account, for example. Um, Update your antivirus and anti-malware services. Make sure those are up to date. Update uh, your internet browser because some of those updates are security-related. Um, always make sure you regularly change your passwords and use alphanumerical and symbols if you can. Sometimes you can use like a passphrase or like a memorable sentence. Sometimes I use songs because nobody would know what song, what sentence that I would choose. Yeah. Um, make sure to use an HTTPS connection that's at the top left of your um, URL. If there's like a little lock next to it. Um, use two-factor authentication. And then I also mentioned using the Have I Been Pwned website to check if your email address or any of your associated accounts were hacked. And you can also use that for your subject email addresses to see what kind of websites they sign up for. Oh, those are good. What other, what other personal tips do you have? You must have your own. Some personal tips? Yeah. Yeah. You must have your own. Definitely. Um, I would say my my favorite piece of advice is to remember that everything we use in our day-to-day life um, 
for example, Airbnb or Venmo, Yelp, Google reviews even, um, those can also be used as a free database that we can access as PIs. So all we need to do is to think outside of the box and remember that everything we use can be a tool for us in our professional capacity as well. Well, you know, if you think about it, Talia, you know, everything we order, everything we sign up for, they actually, they ask you to register. They ask you to create a profile. So every time we go online to do something, we're creating a profile and setting up an account with a username and passcode and all of those things, which uh, is a little daunting, (laughs) actually. It is, yeah. And, and then, or they give you the option of um, giving access to your Facebook account. So it's kind of, I, I have like a spoof email. That's another suggestion is to create kind of a dummy email that you can give to those kinds of websites. Yeah, I mean, even just uh, logging on to your account, you have a choice. If you have a Google account, you can log on with your Google. And there you, there you go. So, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's lots of ways for fraudsters to get in into your account, uh, many, many ways. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was going to say one last, um, not piece of advice, but it's something new. Um, if there are any PIs in Miami, I'm starting an informal group of PIs to get together monthly. So if anyone would be interested to feel free to email me through my website. Okay, and your website is what? It's uh, b2binvestigations.com. B2B investigation, is that going to be in person or uh, remotely, remote meetings? It's, uh, we're in Florida, so we're going to do it in person. <laughs> okay, all right, um, very good. <laughs> anyone who would be interested um, to talk about, you know, tips, tricks, and just networking. Very good. That's a great tip, Taya. Thank you so much. This has been an interesting dialogue today. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, I'm glad you moved to Miami. It sounds like a great choice for you. Definitely. Let me know when you're in town. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care. And for the rest of you, it's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time here on the Voice America Variety Channel. 